This is SciBite, episode 71, for November 13th, 2012. everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live Tuesday evenings over jblive.tv, and then fresh for download Wednesday mornings over jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So what are we talking about today? This week, we're going to take a look at possible new super-Earths, simulated skin, airless tires, viewer feedback, curiosity update, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Wow, a super Earth. Well, I think the only yes. way to get the details on that story is if we jump into the news. All right, Heather, what is our first news story? The researchers have poured over data from the HARPS planet hunting instrument, which will kind of like this because this is a data in the data. So they're suggesting that at least six super-Earth exoplanets are appearing in this, um, in this one-star system, and one of them in the water-friendly Goldilocks zone. Oh, now the Goldilocks zone you've talked about before on the show, that's kind of yes. like the sweet spot where it looks like uh, something of interest could develop, right? Yeah, it's where liquid water could exist. And it's, uh, the distance is not the same for every star. It depends on how hot or cold the star is. Okay. So if it's a cooler star, it'll need to be much closer to the star in order to, for the possibility of water to be able to be on the surface. Okay. So this telescope is looking at um, radial velocity. It's looking at the slight wobble of a star. We talk about uh, the Kepler Space Telescope a lot, and that looks at the dips in the light. This is actually one that looks for the wobble of a star, how the planet is actually moving on the star just a little bit. So I, my go-to explanation is, you're swinging around a kid. The kid is making you move just a little. <laughs> I know that one. Yes. The more action is on the kid, the planet swinging around. But right, but if you were to monitor just me, you'd see a slight wobble. Yeah. So we've got this, and they thought it was a three-planet system. Mm. And so then they went back into the data, and they were able to reanalyze it kind of in a different way. So they took the light from the data, and they split it into all the different wavelengths. And then they were able to look at the individual wavelengths to kind of peer into the with the light. Cause so it light potentially is, makes some wavelengths wobble more than others? Yes. Okay. So you can be able to see slight variations a lot better Okay. by, by analyzing over the spectrum. Because in order to see the wobble, it's not like we actually see it jiggling around. We see it redshift or blue shift when something is, well, you can actually see it jiggle around a little bit, but also you can see the uh, when the light is coming from a star. If it's going away from you or coming to you, then it's shifted more or less in one direction of the light spectrum. So it kind of shifts over and it's slightly more red or it's slightly more blue, depending on which direction it's going. So you can go through and you can look at, you know, is as over the whole spectrum of the light, what is it doing? Kind of go in and get that better details going on so they and I know how you love the 
So it, I found it interesting they're able to go back into the state and be able to split the light up, even though that's not what they were going for originally. Originally, right. So this star in particular is a little old dwarf star. So it's kind of it's small. It's may have lived its life and kind of shrunk down or oh, okay. just been small. So but it's had a you know just old dwarf star. So it's just kind of sitting there. So it's not like it's has a, is being really active right now. If it was really active, that would be one strike against it to be able oh. to have a planet with Earth-like conditions. You know, if the sun is fairly, uh. fairly stable. I mean, we see all those coronal mass ejections and big things going on. But on the whole, it's, it's kind of stable. It's not doing crazy things. So, as far as stars go. Yeah, as far as stars go. It's not interrupting planets. You know, it'll mess with our magnetic field a little, give us some aurora, but it's not drastically changing the surface or the atmosphere of a planet. So this, like this, so like this star, it's fairly stable. So it's got that going for it. Then it's, the specific planet is actually located far enough also, so it's not tidally locked. That means at a certain, when you're close together, you're spinning around each other, the two faces, the face of the planet are always going to face each other. So if a planet is close enough to a star, it's orbiting in such a way that one side is always facing the star. Uh-huh. And that kind of means that, you know, one side gets a lot more heat, a lot more radiation. The far side gets you know, right. much less radiation, of course, it's yeah. cold, yeah. dark. That really messes with, you know, weather. So that would be kind of a strike against it, but it's okay on that mark. And it's about, they're estimating it's about a seven Earth mass planet. Hmm. So it, that it's means it's seven some, Earths in size? Not in size, just in weight. Oh, that is okay. where sure, the trick sure. is. They're not, it looked, from what I was looking at, they're not even absolutely sure whether it's a solid planet or a gaseous planet. We know how much it weighs. Now, depending on its diameter, that would give us, oh, so it must be this dense. So it would be able to have rocks or it would be more like Neptune or mm. Uranus. So it's more mm-hmm. gaseous. So, but it's receiving less radiation than Earth is. So that'll, that's not, it's not irradiated to, any of the planet is not irradiated too much. So, and tech, I mean, we're talking about, you know, be, need more observations to see what kind of a diameter it is, and also, also to confirm it. It's still listed as a planetary candidate, so more, more observations are needed to make sure that it gets into the confirmed status in order to see what its diameter is so we can get a better idea of, you know, its properties. Now, most of the time that requires it to transit the star in other words to pass between the star and us like most of the kepler how kepler observes things right or direct imaging and those kind of things would let us see the diameter of this planet but it's kind of unlikely it's actually going to pass between the star and us so kind of waiting on that so right now it's kind of in a cold position we see this planet we see it in the perfect spot in order to hold water Uh uh-huh but you know, so there know. are a couple, of, yeah, we don't know the diameter. We're not sure exactly what's going on for it. Hmm. Well, by the, according to the Star Trek uh, warp calculator, 
Yeah, uh-huh. uh, if we were to travel at warp seven, and the only reason I bring this up, scientifically speaking, Heather, is because uh, we know that uh, based on coverage on this show, that science is just ripping off Star Trek right and left and coming up with everything they thought <laughs> of. So I'm sure we'll have warp drive at some point. Uh, according to Matt and Dad's calculator, which you can find at anycalculator.com/slash/warpcalculator.html, uh, if we were to go a nice easy rate of warp seven, uh-huh. uh, and 47 light years away, like you mentioned, uh, it would take 26 days to reach. Um, this planet. So we can just go check it out in a few years, I would assume. Yeah. It'll be like, take a, a month off for Cybite and then rec- <laughs> like, record, we, our, we could record, record our journey. Yeah, we just wouldn't be able to upload it until we got back. Yeah. So, But, you know, you, you figure we got to go there and spend maybe a week and then yeah. go back. So about about two months off. That'd be a mighty roving reporter. <laughs> I like reporting here live from, well, recorded from... HD four zero three seven. Hopefully, it'll get a better name. Yeah. Right now, it's four four zero three zero seven G. Well, the numbers always indicate like the star. The star doesn't have a particular name, and then ah. letters indicate planets. Oh, so okay. Closer into farther out, you get new letters. Or if you only have, say, you have three planets discovered, now you have a couple of more. They get more letters. We we kind of got and we kind of ended up with a with kind of a shrimpy planet. I mean, because a lot of these that you find they're they're calling larger than Earth, and uh, you know when you look at this planets in our solar system, there's quite a few that are quite bigger than our planet, and you have to kind of think, uh, boy, would it be nice if we just had a little more real estate? <laughs> you know, the world's a big place, but know. it'd be great if it was just a little bit bigger. Maybe it had a little more oil and it had a little more water. <laughs> Isn't that like the whole like? backpack or purse theory you have a bigger one but it still doesn't make a difference it's still t- you're, you're still full you're right you're like wow my backpack has no space i need a bigger one wow it's it's now full again it's like how it's like how i thought i would never fill a two terabyte hard drive yeah right but now i kind of like hmm three terabytes yeah okay okay i'm, I'm with that and i'm like looking at ssds and i'm thinking i wish i wish one terabyte ssds would come down in price <laughs> <laughs> so you're right heather you're right i and grass is always greener, too, by the way. Yes. And our solar system is really weird because everything else out there is really weird. Right. That's so the thing, isn't it? We're, yeah, on, we, the outs- we're yeah. on the outline. Now, yeah. we haven't found many Earths because it's only recently that we've been able to actually see things down to Earth's size. Right. And well, and let's be, let's be honest, too. I mean, how long have we lived in the era? I mean, it's been a little while now, but, but in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of just like, you know, science, how long have yeah. we been living in this era where we have so much data now of things that are way, way out there that we mm-hmm. can actually find stuff just by reviewing stuff that we've already collected? Like, yeah. see, that's, this is sort of a new, unique advantage that we that researchers are kind of at now, I think, right? Do yeah. you think I'm right? Oh, yes. It's with, I mean, the Hubble Space Telescope. You have a lot of observations, all these years worth of data, and you want to try to Ask, please, kindly to be able to turn in a request paper into maybe getting some time on there. And long before then, they're like, tell you what, review everything we've done so far. Make sure that nothing you need is already done or you can pick the data out of it. And so many times that is. Yeah. And uh, just to answer uh, Stephen M's question, uh, if we traveled at Warp 9, it would only take 11 days to get there. That, then we'd only have to miss like two episodes. Yeah, we well, should do that. I suppose you have to take into account the return trip. And 
Also, you should take into account Thanksgiving because it doesn't matter how fast you can travel. Next week, SciBite will be off the air to make room for Thanksgiving. Yes. A holiday break. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that just seemed like the perfect transition point, Heather. Perfect. (laughs) And uh, so just a little public service announcement. Uh, Don't tune in live next week. Don't check for downloads because we're going to take it off for Thanksgiving, but we'll be back just like regular next week. And also, if you uh, are an unfiltered listener... Same for Unfiltered. It'll be taking the Thanksgiving week off. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just because every now and then it's good to take a breather and spend time with family because that's the priority. Now, but, uh, while we're uh, in our brief intermission, I would like to remind everyone that SciBite is a fan-sponsored podcast. And we really like it that way, to tell you the truth, because that means we are only responsible to answer to you guys. Now, as the holiday season approaches... It is my duty to remind you that at the bottom of jupiterbroadcasting.com, we have links down there for our affiliates. Amazon and and Netflix and Newegg and ThinkGeek and the Best Buy and the eBay. uh, And, of course, Chrome and Firefox extensions. And if you click on one of those links, or if you install one of those extensions, then when you're shopping, a portion of your shopping session, of the entire shopping session is contributed to Jupiter Broadcasting. Now, if you're an office supply person and you buy office supplies, that could be onesie-twosies things. We're making maybe a penny off of your uh, pens or whatever it is. But if you're maybe buying some parts, something like that, you know, we could make a little bit of money off that or if you're maybe buying some gifts this holiday. So that's one great way to contribute to the network without really having to affect your budget. And I really like that aspect of it because I don't I don't want people to like be, you know, hard out to support our work. But if you do have a little extra money and you can contribute directly, we do have monthly subscriptions available. That kinda, the nice thing about those is not only are you locking in a certain funding rate that you know we're getting, but it also gives us forecasting capabilities. We know this is our base rate that we're going to make. And that's really great for us as just a company and to buy hardware and make planning like that. Now, though, because Heather, Heather yes. is a great host. She always has a couple of picks. Wait, not that one. Jeez. She always has a couple <laughs> of picks for us. And uh, this week, she's got an excellent, excellent book recommendation. And all, yes. it kind of fits in with sort of the big news of the week, too. Oh, it definitely does. Star Wars The Old Republic goes free to play on Thursday, November the 15th. Completely free. Download it. Try it out. There are some restrictions, but you can pretty much do everything. It's just how many times a week you can do things. But then there are unlocks you can you can pay for and all sorts of things like that. I'm really interested but, to try that out because I love this game. I haven't, yes. you know, I haven't got to play it as much as I want in the recent months, but it's such a great game. Yeah. To free, to be free, that just blows my mind. That just absolutely blows my mind that something like that can be. Now, do you have to buy the game still? Do you no. know? Wow. You just download it for free? I am almost absolutely certain. That's great. Well, so uh, now Heather has got a book pick this week that sort of ties in with The Old Republic. It kind of fills out the universe a little bit, right? Yes, it does. It's another one of those couple of books have happened where it's filling in during the time frame, gives you a little backstory, a little more information about characters. Yeah, it makes so, all those like little experiences in the game just that much richer. Oh, I yes. that kind of stuff. Now, I, of course, you, we have a, we'll have a link in the show notes to the Amazon. You buy that. It's an affiliate link, and we get a little portion of the purchase. Now, also, uh, we'll have a link in there for Audible. If you grab this, you just sign up. You have to sign up for an Audible account if you're not already a member, but that means then you get this book for free, which is really cool. And then you can cancel the Audible membership, and you still get to keep the book. So that's really great, too. But if you, if you, you'll probably want to stay on because I've been, I've been a member for years. Uh, I just want to play a sample of the book because it gives you a little taste of why these books are great in audio form. The lone remaining assassin fired off another round. Once again, it deflected harmlessly off the massive engine core. The ship's engine behind them roared to life, and the hangar's roof slid slowly open with a loud squeal as Veb prepared for takeoff. 
I love the background sounds. It's yes. very like theater of the mind, and it's oh, it's so great. And I love uh, the dramas like that. And you know what I've you know what I'm doing now is I have Audible on my phone, and I have Audible on my new Nexus Seven. And it oh. syncs between the two, so like uh, I can listen to, like fifteen minutes before I fall asleep, and then I pick mm-hmm. it up on my way into my client in the morning. I love oh, it. Nice. So that's a great that's a great commuter's companion. But uh, we'll have so we'll have a link to both the uh, the paper version, the Kindle version, and the Audible version in the show notes. If you guys want to check that, that's Annihilation, Star Wars: The Old Republic, and it kind of fills in the backstory to a game that's just gone free to play and a very, I mean this. First of all, when it's free to play, people, if you run Windows, just go check it out because you're, it's like literally you don't have to, you don't give a credit card or anything. And I both Heather and I just can't recommend it enough. We really like the game. Oh yeah, it's so. Oh, I'm still listening to a book in the background. It is. Oh. It is. It is a triple A title. Definitely. Yeah, and now it's free. So there you go. All right, Heather. With all that exciting information all done, that means I think it's time mm-hmm. for the news bite. Alright, Miss Heather, what is our first story in the news bite? Researchers in California have designed a synthetic version whose flexible, electrically conductive, self-healing polymer that could actually be used as a skin, possibly. Like real skin. Uh, uh so you using plastic skin, Heather? Is that what you're saying? Kind of. No, it's more like for prosthetics. Okay. Oh, That's kind of okay. what they're leaning for. So to make it more natural? Yes, because there are some things you can't really, only some prosthetics are now being able to give you sort of a feedback of how hard you're squeezing when you're holding something. They're able to hook electrodes through and give you little signals into your muscles. So you're like, okay, yes, I am gripping that beyond just being able to see it. But this kind of a thing, it'd be really interesting. I mean, they've been using silicon for circuits for Years now, thin, thin, flexible, but they're really brittle. Uh. So they've been looking for something that could not only just work as, you know, as a synthetic skin for possibly prosthetics, but maybe, um, you know, heart rate monitors, mm. you know, some sort of electronics for putting on your skin for skin or in places that it needs to be flexible and stretchable and things like that. Wow. Chemists have been coming at it in one direction, sort of trying to make these polymers more self-healing. You know, so when something happens to them, they try to deform, reverse-style deforming into its original shape. Hmm, okay. So then a couple of research groups have actually produced plastics that you cut it and then you hold the edges together maybe heat them, shine a light on them, and the cut edges stick together. They're there. It's like it wasn't cut. They bond together. Yep, they rebond together. But so far, nothing, none of those have really been electrically conductive, so not really useful with electrical sensors. But now this specific polymers that they're dealing with, they're actually able to increase the conductivity of these healing polymers by incorporating nickel atoms. So the electrons can now kind of jump between the metal atoms like hopscotch. So you throw the pillows out on on the ground as a kid, you're like, the floor is magma, hopping between one (laughs) another. That's kind of what they've done. They've scattered the nickel ions across, and the 
the electrons can then jump between them to get from one place to another. I see. And it's sensitive enough so that, you know, twisting and torsion, it actually changes the distance between the nickel atoms. So you can kind of tell, you're like, how fast the electrons go or slow, because that indicates the distance between all these nickel atoms. So you can kind of get some information out of that. <clears throat> and even... They've been able to, it's self-healing in the way they actually cut it completely through with the scalpel and just press the edges together for about 15 seconds. Didn't heat it, didn't do anything. And it went on to retain like 98% of its conductivity. That's incredible. So it was able to heal and maintain its conductivity. (laughs) So we're moving forward pretty quick here. Well, hopefully fairly quick. So, but Wow, there's a ton of applications for that. Oh, incredibly so. Now, yeah. there are still some drawbacks. You have, I was telling you, you know, you could cut it with a scalpel and it reheals yeah. and it has all its conductivity. Sure. But what if it's not a scalpel? Because a scalpel is very precise. You know, if, well, when it's a wound or something, there's deformation. It's not nice and, like, a nice little line and pretty. So, there's some question huh. as to whether that sort of mechanical tension or stretching could scar it or prevent the completion of self-healing. So would it not allow it to heal as well as it would if it was not stretched? So now they've got, there's another looking to make, make it more flexible and stretchable. The stretchable part is where they're really hitting it. So like, okay, this is the major milestone hurdle for us to get past. You make it flexible, they've got it so that you, know, you can retain the conductivity, but stretching it out and being and having it being able to sort of stay, you know, conductive and then be able to come back unstretched. That's kind of a, a tricky bit. So hmm. very fascinating. And uh Probably potentially, if they get that kind of if they get kind of that you know that stuff worked out, uh, that could be great for prosthetics. I, I see what you mean. I, I oh, did yeah. not. That was funny. That didn't even really cross my mind at first, but of course, that's such a great application. Yeah, I mean, the obvious things like mechan- uh you know, just sensors of heart rate sensors and things of that nature, where you need it to just stick on the skin and be able to move just as the skin does. So it stretch, it would twist, it would torque, and it wouldn't fall off. You know, so if you have a sensor on there, you like must remain absolute still, mm-hmm. can't move. You're like, I can't move my fingers because that would make the sensor on my hand fall off. <laughs> yeah. I would particularly like to move my fingers, yeah. but I cannot. So this would be something that you'd put on there and it would stretch and move with your skin. But I also thought, you know, but with the prosthetics as well. So There you go. There you go, Heather. And uh, I'm not even going to call Bilbo out in the chat room for being a jerk. Oh. I'm not, I'm not even going to do that. Okay. That's only for people watching the video. All right, Heather. Well, okay. uh, check out the uh, couple of links that Heather has in the show notes because there's some pictures in there. So for you audio listeners out there, it's a pretty fascinating thing to look, especially the ones where you can see them cutting it and uh, and they kind of break it down in this magnification. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. With that filed, I believe it's time for the Two Byte News. That was good, Heather. Boy, I yeah. think you really had a good one there. I'm going to take yours. I'm going to save that. Maybe make it a ringtone. 
Okay. What is our first story in the two-byte news? The standard model and supersymmetry. This is crazy physics stuff. But there is been a extremely rare particle measured from the Large Hadron Collider, the big super collider in Europe. And it's actually casting doubt on one of the popular theories of the fundamental building blocks of the universe. Oh, good. Including dark matter. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. So those initial observations kind of correspond with what they call the standard model. But so any of these new things, uh, new particles that they're kind of predicting, not looking so good for that. I mean, nothing is for sure or even partially for sure yet. But we're headed in that direction. But I just wanted to mention that real quick. I'm going to look into it a little bit more before I talk about it further on the next SciBite, most oh, likely. Oh, a little tease, huh? Yes. So, uh, wow, because yeah, that sounds... Wow. Yeah, milk the physics. That's okay. Yeah. Every now and then that happens. It just happens sometimes yep. in science. Yeah. So, All right. just for furthering what we think and, and so staring the, down uh, building up theories. <clears throat> the initial stuff and the first link that Heather has collected is in the show notes. If, you, if that's like, what the, what is she talking about? You can check that out. And then we'll uh, probably go into it more in two weeks. Yes, we will. Alrighty, what's next? Airless tires. Sounds Finally. really weird. No, I've been waiting for this forever. Yes, a Colorado company is actually looking at tires for cars and I ran across this when they were talking about mountain bikes. Okay. And it's Puncture-proof, completely airless. That's great. So it's it's almost like springs. So it works kind of like a garage door. So you compress the string and, well, the spring, should I say. And then as you let go, as you're going forward, it actually gives you kind of this little elastic potential energy. It gives you a little boost. I think I've seen a concept to this for uh, car tires, kind of like this, a little bit like this. Only yeah, they on have a larger car tires. Scale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they kind of think they've shrunk it down to the bike. I just have a, you know, I know some people that are doing long bike trips. So I saw this and I was like, whoa, puncture proof. And I looked into it and that's what it is. So, I mean, it's. They look like tires. They look like tires that uh, are very theoretical now. But at some point in the future, there won't be bikes that are sold without these types of tires. They really. Because it just makes it so much more uh, durable on long rides and things. These are, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could see they have a few close shots. Mostly in this video they have, they have more shots of the flowers than the tires. But in there, you can <laughs> see, like, you could actually take a nail to this thing and it just wouldn't affect it at all. You just keep going. Yeah. So it's... It's not a tube. No, it's not. It's just a circle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is wheel-shaped. But the tube part itself is just a tube of springs there's no air involved right there's nothing to pop yeah it's kind of based on the idea like you're going to move i'm going to move a garage door it weighs hundreds of pounds i cannot move it with the horsepower in my arms therefore they've got springs so that i lift up on it actually moves well and as they point out in the video it's considerably lighter yes so there's the benefit on a bike because you know all of your energy is going into moving every bit of weight on that bike. Yeah, and the weight you have down on the wheel is pressing down. As you move forward, you get a little bit extra spring. So you're getting a little bit extra energy out of it. And it's... When are these going for sale? I want them right now. I don't even have a bike right now and I want them. Yeah. I was looking at the website and I know they've... they've 
looking at the video, they've obviously at least have one yeah, built, a set of wheels built. I hope. Now, I, looking at it, it almost looked like they were say, saying some people have bought some of their wheels. And it's like, hey, if you're interested, oh. now, I'm not sure if it's on the car size <clears throat> wheel or the bike size wheel, mm-hmm. but it's, they've got a whole channel on YouTube about all the kind of different things they have and I have a link in the show notes for their website, but... I just want them to start selling on Amazon right now and make it primable. That's all I want. That's all I ask for, Heather. Of course. Then I will buy the bike to match those tires if I have to. Yeah. All right. Car tires, so it's not going to, you know. That is the yes. Well, and then that would save you gas, and that would save you a ton of hassle. And uh, if there's a little spring in there, I don't know what that accomplishes so much with the car, but I'm sure it'd be great. Yeah, a little bit, little bit better gas economy. <laughs> that, that'll at least be a good thing. Well, with yeah. that filed, should we uh, blast off to Mars? Let's go. Lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. That's a wheel. It's a wheel, Heather. Did you see that wheel? I did. All right, well, so what's going on with the rover? On November the 9th, some soil samplers were actually delivered to the Sample Analysis at Mars, the SAM instrument. We've been seeing a lot of these soil samplers delivered to various instruments. Now, this one is particularly looking at chemistry related to whether it's an environment that can support life or could ever support life. So this actually uses three different instruments, kind of. It uses mass spectrometry, gas chromatography and laser spectrometry so it's breaking this down in many different ways and looking at exactly what's going on and saying all right this is all the elements what kind of environment and chemistry was going on to this sample and using that to say all right could it support life could it ever have support life so and that data is being sent back but there, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to actually go through that data. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. But pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah, this is one of the main. Re- this is kind of one of the main goals of the Curiosity rover was looking for whether life could have ever or is currently on Mars. So it was very specifically looking for all those kind of conditions, and then other data is always a plus, and you go for that as you can, but that is the main process of all these instruments in the entire program. I want to go, uh, I want to go uh, to like wherever they bring this stuff down and just kind of watch these people work. I think that'd be really just, I don't know, probably kind of boring actually in reality, but <laughs> also just kind of neat just to see them bring this stuff in and look at this stuff and see what kind of conversations they have because I bet, so the stuff we get is like, yeah. Stuff they're pretty solid on, stuff they've kind of vetted amongst their peers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But some of this early stuff that you figure that comes in, there's got to be some very interesting conversations and discussions that we don't really get a good picture of that I would love to just be a fly on the wall. Oh, incredibly so, yes. There's so many different hurdles and obstacles or vetted processes, if you want to be yeah technical and nice about it, right. for, the da- for the raw data to get to us. Now, the raw data... Granted, wouldn't really mean a lot to us. No, no, no. It it wouldn't really. I'm just asking for maybe much. like a maybe a U stream of their a meeting U-stream room. Stream of their meeting room, just or just, the, like the around the water cooler. Yeah, just, just I just want to maybe through osmosis absorb some of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and just to hear all the different 
ideas and theories about how what different people think. Right. Exactly. That's what I mean. About yeah. various data. Because, I mean, you'll get all this data and it'll be analyzed for years and years to come. Yes, exactly. But it's not like there are original initial ideas of, oh my gosh. And I'd love and, to hear like an off the wall one. The one that was like completely rejected. Like, oh, come on, Bill, that's crazy. You know, I still want to hear yep. what that was. Well, yeah, why not? Occasionally yeah. you have to come up with those ideas. It's like totally off the wall. Yeah. Because guess what? There are some really weird things out in the universe that we sometimes go, huh. Yep. yep. That's different than we thought. Exactly. All right, Heather, well, any other thoughts on uh, that one? I don't think so. Not this week. All right, then uh, I look forward to uh, our next update on the uh, Curiosity Rover. But in the meantime, why don't you join me in here in the time machine because right. uh, it's time to look back at this week in okay. science. Here we go. Here we go. It's good one. Yeah, good one. Now, uh, you know, I uh, I, I replaced uh, the, the uh, lights in here so we kind of have that blue glow. I think I feel You know, like, I was just about to ask about yeah, the lights. They I looked think, a little different. I think, it, I think I dig it. All right, so uh, our destination this week is 40 years ago, November 16th, 1972. Yes, Skylab 3 carried a crew of three astronauts. It was lost, launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, and it was on an 84-day mission. It actually kept being the longest American space flight for about two decades. Ah. So 40 years ago... 84 it day became, mission was like the it was the record for a while. Oh yeah, for, yeah. for 20 years, yeah. for over 20 years. Yeah. And then we had somebody actually break it on uh, the Mir spacecraft in 1995 and moving forward from them. But the crew actually maintained physical condition. They walked on treadmills and riding on onboard stationary bikes. So it's kind of, you know, you strap yourself down and <laughs> you bungee cord yourself to a treadmill and then walk on the treadmill. Do some workout. Yes. Yeah. So thousands of experiments con- conducted. They actually only did four spacewalks. One on uh, Christmas Day to observe a comet, actually. Huh. And it came down, splashed down in 1974, so about two years later. I, I really don't... I feel like I have a very, very, very loose... Un, uh, uh, I don't know, history with Skylab. I really don't feel like I'm very familiar with it at all. Yeah, it's one of the lesser known ones. I kind of know enough about it to be like Skylab and kind of picture it and the kind of things that were going on. I kind of remember talking a little bit about it in school, I think, but I, I don't know why. Like, I mean, International Space Station, of course, that's a beacon in my mind, but Skylab. Yeah. Well, once it became, even before it went up, the International Space Station was such a big deal because there was all this planning and preparing and, you know, all the various instrumentation and design mm-hmm. and even the talking between the different nations about who would do what and how it was going to happen and name changes and on and on and on. So there was a lot of hype about it before it even went up. And then obviously once it's been up, it's been on the, on the radar for well, yeah. anybody looking that direction. You know, you've got, you have a, uh, a book pick here that kind of ties in with the, the Skylab story. And I was just reading yes. their, their description here and they say, as the United States and the Soviet Union went from exploring space to living in it, a space station was conceived as a logical su- a successor to the Apollo moon program. I never thought of Skylab like that, but that puts it all into perspective for me, just that opening sentence right there. Yeah. So that's... that's. And if you're interested in all that kind of things and looking at the actual story and these books like this don't just talk about the science. They kind of talk about the more 
overall view of where this was coming from a world perspective of different international space programs and where it was going and kind of some sneak behind the scenes stuff. So there's a lot going on that you can get a, a really good idea of the science and the methodology and the politics and science oh, of it all. Hmm, there you go. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too, because that might be a good way for people that are curious about getting more. Well, uh, Heather, uh, before we go on, uh, I yes. have, uh, so let me see here. I got this flashing light. I don't even know what this yeah. is about. Uh, it seems to be uh, the side computer wants to tell us a me- Oh, ha, ha. oh yes. We have an incoming communications. We do. Last week, I talked about these solar eclipse coming up. It was actually earlier today on, yeah. earlier Tuesday, the day we filmed, in uh, Northeast Australia. I had somebody write in saying, Although he lived in lives in Australia, he wasn't able to see it in person, but he looked online at the link I had uh, given last week and twi- tweeted about. So he was excited about that, and I posted a couple oh, of uh, wow. YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, these are great. It's a four-minute video, but I had a couple of links in there that jumped straight to the moment when the sun is completely covered by the moon. It's beautiful. The complete totality, so you can see the edges of the sun around it. You can kind of see a couple of little bright spark, you know, bright sparkles. And some of that can be where you see craters of the moon, but more likely it's the activity on the sun's surface is actually crazy. kind of coming out. Wow. It's beautiful. Oh, looks like uh, somebody in the chat room, Marcus Baird, actually got to see that today over oh, in New Zealand. Very cool. Awesome. And congrats to anybody who actually got to see it or who actually got to watch it online. Yeah, no kidding. I, uh, geez. Oh, man, these videos are so great. I'm looking at them right now, Heather. These are great. We have loads of links linked in the show notes. And, uh, uh, I, I, you know what I almost want is those. I wish I could set them as a background almost because they just, they're just very, uh, very cool. And then when you see them in motion with the little, uh, I don't know, the activity from around, around the moon, it's very neat. All yeah, right. You can well, actually uh, see the whole thing happen, but those are a couple of snippets. Yeah, out of it that I linked. He says he caught the last 20% of it, Marcus does. So There you go. All right, Heather, nice. we'll, uh, let me uh, recalibrate the Cybite 2000 and oh, we can look up into the sky this week. That's right. We talked about what we have seen and now what we're going to see. On Thursday, November the 15th, right about twilight, you look to the southwest, uh, to the left and slightly above the moon, you're actually going to see Mars. Mars is getting to hang out in the sky now. So on Thursday, above, Above and a little bit to the left. On Friday, early in the morning, you can actually see a Leonid meteor shower. It's maximum. It's going to be about 12 meteors an hour. That's more like for the people in in darker areas, so there's not so much um, light pollution or light in the sky. But that evening, you roll around to twilight and back to the southwest. Now Mars is slightly below and to the right. So we started up to the upper left, on Thursday, kind of moved down to the lower right on Friday. But Mars is still up there. And moving on to Saturday, November the 17th, early in the morning, Spica, the dog star, is going to be just to the right of Venus. Venus will be the brighter of the two. But Spica is another brighter star that's out there. And on the whole, Venus is going to be up about an hour before dawn this week. It's going to rise in the east, kind of keep moving higher and higher by the as dawn goes on into the morning. Mm-hmm. Mars this week is going to be around during the twilight, the same glow in the southwest near the moon, like I was saying. Jupiter gets to hang out with the crowd today, this week. Oh, uh, wow. Again, also at twilight, looking to the east-northeast this time. It's going to rise with 
the red star Aldebaran to its right. So Jupiter will be up there, east, northeast, and twilight, but the red star around it is not Mars. That's actually a star. Okay. And it dawned this week, Saturn's coming back into the picture. Saturn was there for a little while, hid behind the sun. Now it's starting to come back out, and we actually begin to see it again. Wow. It'll be to the lower left of Venus, and they'll actually be getting closer and closer as the as the week goes on and time goes on. That is an action-packed sky. Yes. That's awesome. So all that's outlined, of course, in the show notes. And uh, I've been lucky. Uh, we'll see if my luck continues. Good and bad luck. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we've had very clear skies at night. But then that also means we have uh, lots of frost and sometimes ice in the morning. But uh, but it means good star watching. I'll tell you that. It's yeah. been a very clear sky. So I'm hopeful that sticks because it sounds like it's going to be a good week ahead. And hopefully not saying something has doomed you. Oh, crap. <laughs> well, if I remember, I'll report back in two weeks. Because just to remind okay. everybody, we're taking the Thanksgiving week off. But both Heather yes. and I want to say thank you, everybody who listens to the show. And especially to everybody who tunes in live. Yes. All our... Famous stars of the chat room. That's right. They are the stars in the chat room. Of course, you guys can uh, always, uh, you are always welcome to join SciBite Live. It is late for some of you folks, or early, depending on your orientation. But uh, we do it live on uh, Tuesdays, not Thursdays, Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv and audio at jblive.info. All right, Heather, well, thank you for the great show. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning to this week's episode of SciBite. We'd love to hear from you. Email us, SciBite at JupiterBroadcasting.com. And, of course, you can uh, find links to everything we talked about in this week's show notes. And we'll see you right back here in two weeks. <laughs>